Hello. We want to thank you for joining our Living Messiah family by downloading this podcast. We hope it blesses you and enriches your life. We also want to encourage you, uh, if you can, and if your heart is so moved, to support this ministry by going on our website, livingmessiah.com, and donating to help us to put these podcasts in every nation, every place, so we can bring these messages to change lives, to help people grow in the Word of God. Once again, thank you so much for being part of our family. Shalom. All right. Excellent. Oh, Shabbat Shalom, everyone. I'm glad all of you are here. Let me open in prayer, and then we can get to back into our study in the book of John. Father, Yahweh, we give you great thanks, Father. We thank you for just another awesome Shabbat, a day that we can come together and gather. And, Father, we thank you for just a, a wonderful feast, your feast of Sukkot, all of us together, and bringing everyone back safely, Father. We, we thank you, and we hope it was pleasing to you as we got together and unified and lifted your name up in the redemption of your Son. Again, we thank you we're here today to look into your words, to grow closer to you, to be empowered by your Spirit, to overcome all things because you are our God, and that's what you, you say, and we trust your words. We thank you that your word became flesh, that he has dwelt among us, and that he is our Messiah, Yeshua, your only brought forth son. We thank you. Amen. Well, good. Well, I'm glad all of you are able to make it here today, and I hope those who, who spent Sukkot up there had a wonderful time, and you'll hear more about that in the, um, in the, uh, the other service coming up later on today. So, uh, as usual... Um, how we operate here. Uh, Paul has the mic, so if you have any questions or comments, just raise your hand. He'll make his way to you. All we're asked is make the, com the comments um, and your questions on the subject that we're talking about, and let's not get ahead of the text here so we all can learn at the same time, because I'm learning as long as uh, along with you as well. So, that being said, again, I want to thank you online viewers for being with us, and we just thank you for your support. Uh, uh, please just say hello, um, leave a comment, that would be great. We so appreciate that, because we view you as part of our family here as well, even if you cannot be here in person. So, the book of John, we're in the chapter um, chapter 5. My first question, you can just shout it out. Do you remember where we left off? Oh, well, it's a good thing I have a review for you so we can get caught up, right? So where we were, we were at, we, we left, or actually we're still kind of at the, the pool of Bethsaida, okay? And that's where Yeshua healed a, a man who suffered an illness of 38 years, and I talked a little bit about that, um, and we talked a little bit about the, the man, but what I did bring forth, and I'll say this again, and I even can say it with more confidence because I read, I saw some more information on this, and that's always great, and I wasn't looking for it, but it popped out to me. I had made the comment that Bethsaida was not a holy site, okay? This man here uh, at this, uh, at Bethsaida, Bethsaida was historically was affiliated with, affiliated with a particular cult, okay? And this god, Esculpius was his name, this god was the most 
merciful out of all the Greek gods. And this Bethsaida was set up for him because he was the god of healings and his children were hygiene and all these other terms that we would use today. So, and so it's, it, was, it was interesting looking at that. So, so what that would bring us to then is this, um, this affiliation, like I was saying, with this cult. And the thing is, not knowing the background of it, the, when the New Testament writers, as it went down, there's notes in the margins that they wrote. So what had happened, the copyist at that time, not knowing, um, added an explanation about the stirring of the water. So they just assumed that was the Lord, the messenger of the Lord stirring these waters, but it really wasn't. And it was just an attempt to try to clarify for the readers. Um, so it's interesting on that aspect. So that would bring us back to Bethsaida being the house of mercy, which it would be called, but it was the house of mercy, not for, um, not from the, uh, what do you say, not from the God of Israel, so to speak. Is it all right? Oh, oh okay, I thought, okay, I got something on me. <laughs> all right, so, so, so that makes it really interesting. So it, in a sense, this gentleman... He was here wanting to get healed, which many people are coming there. And it's like right outside the gates of uh, Jerusalem. Now, in my studies, too, I've been coming across more and more. And like any of you know, it's like I'm studying and I'm learning things as I go here, too. And I'm finding it real interesting studying, not studying about the Greek culture and the Greek gods and it actually, it starts answering some of the odd phrases and comments that we have in the scriptures, okay? Because the point here, historically, Hellenization was very impactful on the culture. That's included in Judaism and everywhere around, okay? So we have to keep that in mind. And so it does shed light then learning about some of these things, and it sheds lights on our New Testament as we're reading it. So that's where we're going to go uh, pick up the story here in John 5, 7. Then it goes on. The sick man answered him, Master, I have no one to put me into the pool when the waters are stirred. But while I am coming, while I am coming another steps down before me. Yeshua said to him, Rise, take your bed and walk. And immediately the man became well, and he took up his bed, and it uh, took up his bed, and it and was walking. Now, it was the Shabbat, or the Sabbath day. The Yudim, or the Jews, therefore said to him, who had, who had said to him who had been healed, is it, um, is it the Shabbat? Is it not right for you to take up your bed? So they're making a comment to this gentleman, okay? They, I, I'm guessing they didn't really necessarily see that uh, he was healed, but they're looking at him for this, for this reason, uh, for carrying his bed. Then he goes on. He answered them, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. Therefore they, they asked him, Who is this man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Okay? But the one who, the one who was healed did not know who it was. For Yeshua moved away in a crowd uh, being in its place. 
So possibly, I'm just guessing here, you know, there was a lot of people lined up at this place. This guy got healed, and I'm sure a lot of crowds would have known this guy. If he was there for 38 years, got up and walked, there would have been somebody who's like, he walked. He got up and walked. And all of a sudden, whoa, then you got a crowd moving in, and Yeshua was easy to move out of that. But I think it was interesting, though, that, Again, this was right outside of Jerusalem, right outside the gates of the holy city that this was taking place. So, in now I won't belabor that anymore. So, we have now it was the Sabbath on the Sabbath day. That's kind of what I wanted to look at here. So, let's go on with the story and then we'll come back to that idea. So it goes on. Afterward, Yeshua found him in the set-apart place, and he said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, so that no worse matter befalls you. The man went away and told the, the Jews, or probably the leadership at that time, that it was Yeshua who made him well. So I would conclude here, he's outside at, this, uh, at Bethsaida, he couldn't have been just a, a basic person, uh, meaning I think he had a Jewish background because we find him now in the set-apart place, okay? So why would he run to the set-apart place if he was just some foreigner guy that knew nothing about the God of Israel? Messiah didn't re say anything, you know, go and show yourself to the priest or anything. I think a lot of that we could assume this guy knew what was right and what was wrong. And when Messiah says sin no more, I don't think this sin was so much why he had an illness or why he was there. My personal opinion, and I'd like to hear from you, possibly if you have another one, it was more, why did I find you at this cult place for healing? So don't practice that anymore because you know, something worse can happen to you. And I, to me, that makes sense when I, like I said, I was looking into some of these odd practices that went on. So if one is caught up in the Hellenization of uh, this therapy over here from this deity, do this, roll around in the cave with the snakes or whatever it might be, okay, that some of the odd things that they would do, it, I mean, just... Some of the stuff I read, it's like, man, you can get sick by just doing what you think is going to make you well, according to what these, uh, these false deities tell you to do. So I think Messiah was addressing more in that sense, you know, after, after he was being healed, found in the temple, and then saying, you know, don't be entertaining uh, this type of uh, practices anymore. So... So at least I believe he was Jewish in that sense. Now, with the, the, the Udim, or the Jews at the time, I think they recognized right away when they said it was Yeshua. I think by this point in Yeshua's life, he had a little bit of fame going on as far as what he would. So they were quite aware of that, that prophet from Nazareth, okay? So, 
Now, here's something else that I want to bring forth. It's kind of interesting. Uh, let me read first, and then we'll get into that. Because then they go, and because of this, the Udim, the Jews persecuted Yeshua and were seeking to kill him because he was doing these healings on the Shabbat. But Yeshua answered them, my father works until now, and I work. Because of this, then the Jews, they were more seeking uh, all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Shabbat, but he also called Elohim his own father, making himself equal with Elohim. Now, to be quite honest with you, getting back from Sukkot, I put some things together, but we might camp out here a little bit as this story goes on in a couple weeks before we totally get away from Bethsaida onto the next event. Because there's some heavy, to me, there's some heavy things being said here. And I was talking to Mark, and it's, uh, you know, uh, actually it was the other day, and it's like, I think, you know, we really have to look at these. We can't come from, we can't use New Testament to testify to the New Testament ideas. I'm under the mindset that all these ideas, who Messiah was, what he was saying, what he was doing, they didn't have the New Testament. So that means whatever he was doing, they sh it wasn't in darkness that they did not know. He was referring to everything he did in some manner because they were waiting for the, the Messiah. They were waiting for a king. They were waiting for a, a, another redeemer of some sorts coming. All right? So, so as I was in some of my studies, I was looking at this. Okay? One, like I said, I believe they recognized Yeshua's name because he was making a big stir, okay? And ultimately, I point out to you, I think the major thing, he was jeopardizing the authority that was set in Jerusalem, okay? One, we know, uh, first off, um, he, wasn't, he never broke to Shabbat. That was a false accusation, okay? So, but I think here, I read this one paper, and it was kind of interesting. He was pointing out it wasn't so much the Shabbat. That was a false accusation where they, they knew he wasn't breaking the Shabbat. But what bothered him was he was doing these, these healings, these things on a Shabbat. And that directly impacted their authority. Okay? They're supposed to have everything in order. They're supposed to be the godly leaders of Israel. Um, even though they're under Rome's authority, you know, in, in a lot of sense. But yet, and I, I'm not criticizing or putting them down, but I, I think at the same time, what Messiah was doing was affecting the position that they would have with the people, okay? Uh, right, wrong, or indifferent, it, that, that doesn't matter, but I think that's one of the important parts that I saw here. Because he wasn't trampling the Shabbat, but I believe it was false claims from them that caused uh, uh, that they proclaim. So it was his very acts that he was doing, because he never agreed to be under their authority, and I believe that bothered them the most. Okay, we can't call this guy the Messiah. We can't uphold him because he won't come under us. Okay. Paul. So would it be accurate to say that 
he would have been trampling the Talmudic traditions and authority that is kind of hinted at all throughout uh, uh, the New Testament, and but it's not expressly said. Um, I would believe in some ways it was the traditions of men, you know, like any organization can have traditions that are good to guard against things. But if those traditions and those things are above Scripture, then, you know, or what the Father says, then, then there becomes a problem. And so even in there, I think, too, it would, that was part of their authority that they, they, that they were projecting. And we have this gentleman going out making healings, and possibly in a lot of ways, they were, they were the ones that, you know, I read some, some things so that other people were making healings and making money on it or whatever. Now we got this guy doing stuff for free <laughs> in some ways. That, that messes up the whole industry as it is in, in that sense too. So, so I, obviously Messiah, whatever he was doing was causing issues with them. So that's where I was looking at. Why were they all, uh, why were they so bent out of shape? Uh, you know, seriously, why were they been? And that's the only thing I can think of because they know he wasn't breaking the Shabbat. And I'll show you some other things that they quite clearly knew that they, he, he wasn't breaking the Shabbat. Maybe to some traditions they said out, but not the Shabbat. And they knew that too. Polly? So maybe verse 18, because truthfully, I really don't understand what this means when it says, he also um, called Elohim his father, making himself equal with Elohim. I don't understand really how calling Elohim his father is wrong. made himself equal. But anyway, I'm going to back up a little bit because I can put myself in this place a little bit. And if I could put it maybe in like a modern event that happened, I had gone to a advertisement of how to make uh, your own natural uh, soap, uh, like shampoo and stuff using rosemary. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know until after the teaching was over that I was in the midst of a uh, new age group of people because I was waiting in a long line to get the recipe. And it wasn't until I heard people in front of me talking about how they had tied piano strings to their arm and how the great power of the universe had instantly mm -hmm. healed and brought these miracles that they were talking about. And so I'm looking at these people thinking, you're giving credit to the great power of the universe, or you're giving credit to this piano string for these miraculous healings. That's how I know when Elohim is doing something, we're giving credit and honor to him. Yeah. He's the one that gets credit, not a piano string or not a great power of the universe that I don't identify as just something general. So I can kind of go along with the man went away, the Yehudim told them that it was Yahushua who made him well. So maybe they're thinking, okay, you're giving credit to this man, this individual for healing you instead of giving credit to Elohim or the Almighty. But then he totally flips their thinking by basically in 18 telling him, no, not only did I heal the individual, but I basically am Elohim. Mm -hmm. I think maybe that's what they could not comprehend is how could this individual in front of me be considering himself an equal with Elohim. Yeah. No, I, uh, thank you, Polly. And when you first opened up, that was one of the questions. It was like, why did they get 
Why were they upset? What's here that Messiah said that he was equal, right? And that's, I was puzzled at that looking at this over and over again because he says, and it's in this, it's in 17. And Yeshua answered them, my father works until now and I work. Okay, and this is the Shabbat day. I think that's the key, that verse, by some of the stuff I looked at, that he was proclaiming equal with Elohim in that phrase. Let me explain. In traditional Jew, a Jewish concept, okay, God rested on the Shabbat day after creation, right? And that's in Genesis, obviously. But he continued to work each Shabbat ever since. Because we have children being born. If a child, his eighth day of circumcision hit the Shabbat, the father was there inviting to make the circumcision. So you see what I'm saying? Elohim, always he rested that one day and he's always been working. Now all of a sudden, Yahshua says, my father works today and I also work along. There comes the equalness above father and son. Because again, they quite knew that he wasn't breaking the Shabbat. He was doing good. He was healing. He was making, a, 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 I believe, that statement in a sense, not knowing, and this is for me, I'm learning, knowing more about the, uh, what would you say, the, the lingo from uh, the Talmud and uh, the Jewish background, which a lot of us have thrown away. Uh, we miss some of these key concepts in the dialogue that's going back and forth. So I believe it was that, that phrase which set them off. Not only we're trying to false accuse him for healing on the Shabbat, and now you're making him yourself equal with Elohim by that statement. My father works until now, and I work. Okay? Because ultimately, you know, we're all sons and daughters, you know, that doesn't make that statement that I make. I'm, the, I'm a son of the Most High. I'm, but I'm not proclaiming, obviously, that's not Messiahship or some, any kind of equal because we are all children from him. But I think there was something deeper when he mentioned that, and it was that. So let me go on. And it says, and if children are allowed to be circumcised on the Shabbat, then surely God also works in making a covenant with them on the Shabbat. Okay? So the whole idea then that's behind Messiah's answer and his reasoning is, you know, I'm giving life. Why do you have a problem with that? Okay? I'll read this from Mark 2.27. And he said to them, the Shabbat was made for man and not man for the Shabbat. Right? So in some ways, that's kind of what he's saying here as well. Matthew 12.10 has this. And see, there was a man having a withered hand, and they asked him, saying, Is it right, Messiah? He's the, this was on a Shabbat. And I think it was in, he actually walked into a synagogue. A man's there with a withered hand, all right? They had some little dialogue between him, him and the, the authority at the time. And he says this, and he says to them, is it right to heal on the Shabbat? 
So Messiah was, they were trying to accuse him. And Messiah goes, and he said to them, what man is there among you who has one sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Shabbat, on the Sabbath day of rest, shall not take hold of it and lift it out? So we can get our reasoning. Um, maybe this is a better terminology for us today. We can get really caught up in being Torah police and not having right judgment on a lot of things. Okay? So Messiah goes on here to say, how much more than is a man worth than a sheep? So is it right to do good on the Shabbat or not? Is it right to heal somebody? Is it right to do give life? The paramedics, that, let's, I'll give them an example. You know, they have to work on Shabbat. Are they trampling the Shabbat in a sense? I'm sure those who believe like us would love the Shabbat day off but it's no condemnation because they're giving life and helping someone that day. And that's above all the rules of Torah to give life. Okay. That's what Messiah was trying to bring in out. If you get too narrow in your thinking sometime, that doesn't mean that you practice breaking it all the time because someone can be doing that as well, looking for an ox in the ditch all the time. Okay. You know, if you're doing that or not. Okay. Uh, Jan. Not to mention all the practically all of the IDF soldiers in Israel are working on Shabbat. Yes. So you see, there's a, in some sense, there's a bigger principle at work. And I believe that's what Messiah was bringing out. And that idea that I and my father are working today, just in that, he's equating himself in a sense, to a sonship. And we'll look at the, I want to look at uh, uh, the idea of father and sonship and where maybe that concept is in the text. And that was, uh, so, Polly. My translation's in 17, and I'm not sure what the original, how it originally is translated, but it says, my father is at his work daily, and so am I. Mm -hmm. And I think that, Kind of sums up what you said. Yeah, he's, I'm doing, because Messiah, I think it will go on. I, I do what my father tells me. I, I see what my father does. I do that. And in those phrases, he's separating himself out um, differently and just the basic person running around, uh, you know, or basic person following the Torah and uh, the Elohim Almighty. Um, and uh, hopefully I can show you that concept that's there. So um, let me see. Okay, then um, the man stretched out his hand, and it was restored as healthy as the other. But the Pharisees went out and took counsel against him so as to destroy him. Okay? So they didn't like what he said, and I think he upheld the Torah and everything and again, I think a lot of it had to do with their authorities. Now, what I think is interesting here, as it goes on, here's some other comments. You know, my father works until now, and, I, and, be, and, and I'm also working. This is also relating back to Deuteronomy. Uh, 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 I think it's Deuteronomy. Uh, I could be wrong. Maybe Exodus. Uh, but where it was said that I'm going to raise one amongst your brothers. 
the, they were looking for a particular one amongst them to be raised up, okay? Um, Deuteronomy has this, Deuteronomy 34, 10. And I think this is very powerful when we start looking at the idea that Yeshua is presenting himself. He's not telling you, but he is telling you in actions and in his comments. He's not strictly saying, I'm the Messiah, I'm here, come on, come on. He's, he's doing it in a particular way. That way within and what you've read and what you, your hope is that you see it. So Deuteronomy 34.10, And since then no prophet has arisen in Israel like Moses, from whom Yahuwah knew face to face. For all the signs and the wonders which, uh, which Yahuwah, uh, which Yahuwah sent him to do in the land of Egypt before Pharaoh and before all the servants and all the land and for all the strong hand, all the great fearsome deeds which Moses did before the eyes of Israel. Why I think that's important because Moses is the only prophet face to face and we see Messiah is going to make comments. I see what my father does. So there's... He's making a particular claim that there's an intimacy that Yeshua has with the Father. Much different. But it's based, again, like I said, where did that concept come from? And I believe that comes from, let me see what I got next here. Let me read a little bit for, further. Therefore, Yeshua responded and said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son is, uh, is, is able to do none at all by himself but only that which he sees the Father's doing, because whatever he does, the Son also, uh, also likewise does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him, all, shows him all that he himself does. And greater works than these he is going to show him in order that you marvel. For as the Father raised the dead, raises the dead and makes alive, even so, the Son makes alive whom he wishes. You can see he's showing how much the Son is like the Father. There's an intimacy that he's talking about that no other prophet had, no other, even bigger than Moses had. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. But you do see pictures of things here. And all should value the Son even as they value the Father. He who does not value the Son does not value the Father who sent him. So did they understand what he was saying? I believe they did in some ways, okay? This father-son relationship. Uh, the father-son idea in the scriptures is where I want to go back to. That's where I went, because myself, I want to I understand this. Because, again, we can't define it, you know, um, just from the New Testament text. I want to define it from what, I want to clarify Messiah's words due to what was set before. So, the father-son relationship. This is what I found, which I think is interesting. I'll tell you right off the bat, the father-son relationship, it has to deal with King David, okay? So if it's dealing with King David, it's dealing with a king, it's dealing with the throne. And if it's dealing with the throne, then... It's that throne that rules over all Israel. 
So if we speed up real quick to the time of Messiah, they were waiting for a messianic king. Okay? It's quite clear. And I even read some things. It's interesting. Some rabbis see it just as a messianic king. I've read some rabbis saw the suffering servant Joseph and the conquering king, and they did view them as two, as two separate entities, but in some ways how I believe how I see it, it was one and the same in one person. You know, again, that would be the suffering servant Joseph. That way I see Yeshua and then his return as that conquering king, all in that, that one person. So anyhow, Second Samuel, I want to read this because we're going to look at this idea of father and son. When your days are fulfilled and when you rest with your fathers, he's speaking to uh, David here. I shall raise up your seed after you who comes from your inward parts and shall establish his reign or his kingdom. He does, he does build a house for my name, and I shall establish the throne of his reign forever. It's talking about Shlomo or King Solomon. Okay, I am to be his father, and he is to be my son. So you see this declaration that Yahweh is saying, I'm going to be his father, and this is going to be my son. And you see, a son of God, in a sense, in the Hebrew text, is referring. That's why you hear son of David. We hear that all the time. So the son of God, in a sense, was uh, this, the king over Israel was to be the son of God. And obviously, we're seeing a different son of God in a most powerful way. So let me say this ahead of time as we're reading this. I believe all this is what it says, talking about David and his son. But I believe prophetically, and I've seen that even the rabbis see, there's something more in the text that's talking about something yet to come, a king that was going to rule forever and ever. Because obviously, David and Solomon are dead, and right now, there is no king, so to speak, over Israel, okay? And I don't believe the Father's words have fallen to the ground and have not come true. I think it's all to point to what he, because he's always used Israel. The mission of Yeshua was the same mission of Israel, to obey the commandments, be a light to the nation, show what true wisdom is from the Most High, all right? And the, this is how the Father's working, okay? So we can see these pictures in the people he established and used for the bigger story that he has. So it goes on. He does build a house for my name, and I shall establish the throne of his reign forever. I am to be his father, and he is to be my son. If he does per, uh, uh, perversely, I shall reprove him with the rod of men and with the, uh, the blows of the sons of men. But my kindness does not turn aside from him as I turn it aside from Saul, whom I remove from before you. And your house and your reign are to be steadfast forever before you. The throne is established forever. According to all these words and according to all this vision, so uh, Nathan spoke to David. So, in a sense, it was true. It came true there. And I also see 
this vision that came true for David and Solomon also has a bigger picture behind it. Second Chronicles reads really close to the same. I am to be his father and he is to be my son. And remember, you know, Solomon, known as, in some sense, the one who kind of unified all of Israel, the, the king of peace, okay? I am to be his father, he is to be my son, and my kindness do not turn away from as I turned it from who was before you. And I shall establish him in my house, in my reign forever, and let his throne be established forever. So this concept then I see coming forth from the, uh, the father and son relationship, the father and the king that he puts over Israel, okay? And something else I discovered too. Not only was this king, he king uh, was a son, had the imagery of a son, but he also was the firstborn. So it ultimately, it connects the firstborn with the king of Israel and ultimately with the big king, so to speak. Second Chronicles 22. See, a son is to be born to you who is... Uh, who is a man of rest, and I shall give him rest from all his enemies all around. For Solomon is his name, and peace and rest I give to Israel in his days. He builds a house for my name, and he is to be, be my son, and I am to be his father, and I shall establish his throne over Israel forever. Now, my son, Yahweh, be with you when you shall prosper and build the house for Yahuwah your Elohim, as he has said to you. Only let Yahuwah give you wisdom and understanding and, and command you concerning Israel so that you guard the Torah of Yahuwah your Elohim and you shall prosper. If you guard to do the laws and the right rulings which Yahuwah command, commanded Moses concerning Israel, be strong and brave and do not fear nor be discouraged. So, as we also read at Mount Sinai, a king is to have a copy of all the commandments and the decrees. You can see that's right here. So, ultimately, we see the connection, how I believe Yeshua is this picture. So, if you're out there, uh, maybe from the Christian understanding or the Christian institute, institution some ways, and you're like, yeah, I can see that we believe that. Well, if you look real close, this king, and if you're believing Messiah is this image of this king, is to do this, Yeshua followed the Torah. He followed everything from Mount Sinai accordingly, and he's asked you to do the same. So, sorry, it's a little Torah trap that's there that I see. So, and I don't mean trapped and it's a bad thing. But anyhow, Psalms 30 is another one. How much time I got? Oh, we got some time. So, Psalms 30, and I, ha I, and I have not uh, learned wisdom that I should know the knowledge of the set-apart one. Who has gone up to the heavens? I'm sure you guys know this one. Who has gone up to the heavens and has come down? who has gathered the winds in his, who has bound the waters in his garment, who established all the ends of the earth. What is his name and what is his son's name, if you know? And 
again, it was interesting. I read rabbinic, uh, some of the rabbinic writings. Is this about David? Mm, I, I, you can't really argue that. But yet, it, it seems to be something much more than David. And I saw a lot of rabbis say, this is a messianic prophecy of something bigger. And when I'm saying that, uh, why, why I'm saying that is those of the, of the day of Yeshua who he was talking to, especially in and around Jerusalem, okay, knew these concepts. Because a lot of this is out of the Babylonian Talmud, uh, the commentary on these verses and how they, you know, they viewed it as messianic. Not only was for King David, but yet they saw much more there. That's, I believe, what Messiah is tapping into, when he, especially when in some of the comments that he makes. Okay? And that's why they wanted to destroy him. Not only for the authority that he was overriding their authority, possibly, but some of these claims uh, as well. And so and hopefully some of this answers uh, maybe some questions that you may have. So I'm going to go on since we still have a little bit of time. Another Psalms 89, and I don't have it all. Go and read it in, in its fullness. There's a lot of interesting things in Psalms 89. Again, uh, prophetic things about the Messiah. I sing of the kindness of Yahweh forever. With my mouth, I make known your trustworthiness to all generations. For I said kindness is, the, uh, kindness is built up forever. You establish your trustworthiness in the heavens. You say, I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to my servant David. There's that imagery. Okay. I establish your seed forever and it shall build, uh, build up your throne to all generations. In the heavens, praise your wonders, O Yahuwah, your trustworthiness to in the assembly of the set-apart ones, that's the congregation. Uh, of the, oh. Then it's interesting, I, I had to put this in there because I, I just couldn't pass this up. Verse 9 and 8, 9. Listen to this. Tell me if this sounds familiar to you. You rule the swellings of the sea. When its waves rise, you steal them. That sound like something Yeshua did out on Galilee. He walked on the waters, okay? In Moses' time, Yehoah separated the waters. They, now we have this guy who walks on the water. And ultimately, there's only one that can control, let's say, nature. Anyhow, then it goes on. For Yehoah is our shield, and the set-apart one of Israel is what? Our sovereign. So we see, again, this connection to a sovereign, and that sovereign being Yahuwah himself. So, and I could go on and read more and more here of Psalm 89, but we have a couple minutes, so I want to hear some of your input if you have it. Paul. I'm still stuck. <laughs> what? And I, I, I think part of the reason I'm stuck is because I'm trying to wrap my head around because. Um, I could be doing I, a poor job, too. No, no. Uh, it, it's the text. Whether you mentioned it or not, it's like, I, I, I'm going to read it from an interlinear translation. It says, but Yeshua answered them, the father of me until now is working an I. And 
I'm trying to, I don't recall a text, and I could be wrong, and it could be a Hebraic mindset in terms of, because most of the texts I see, they would say, Father Abraham. But would it be unusual, because he personalized it, he says, the father of me. He didn't say, Abba of Israel. Mm -hmm. He said, the father of me is working. Could it be that he stepped beyond tradition in his speech of the time, didn't say, Abraham's my father, uh, and he directly said, the father of me is working until now, and they knew who they were referring to because he couldn't have been referring to Abraham. Yeah. Uh, So could it be? Because the response was. Yeah, so I don't have the answer. I'm throwing these questions out there. So I can remember to take a look at it deeper in the text if anybody has any thoughts on that. Because sometimes I think we miss a lot because of the the Hellenistic or Greek mindset versus the Hebraic mindset because there were terms and traditions and ways of speaking that they had that they immediately understood, yes. but we miss. So Yeah, and that's what I think I, uh, thank you, Paul. That's what I I saw when he was making that type of statement. You know, because my whole thing, why I started looking at it is, where does it say, what's the idea of Messiah? Okay, where are we getting this idea of Messiah? Okay, so we all read our New Testaments and we believe it, okay? And I believe it too. But is there more there, where, like how Messiah, how he was addressing uh, all those around him. Because the New Testament, and I can't say this enough, the New Testament didn't exist. So how did he unveil who he was to them and into the world based on what was written already? And to me, that's challenging because we got to go back. And like I believe Paul was mentioning, I believe too, there's phrases and um, a speech that they had I think I brought that out when he was uh, debating back and forth with, oh, the guy who came to him at night, um, Nicodemus, yes. And he goes, oh, you being an elder in Israel don't know this. Well, I believe that was just a way of talking back and forth. Messiah was making it quite clear, you know this, Nicodemus. So, you know, but that was how they were uh, speaking back and forth. So it wasn't nothing new being born again was nothing new to Nicodemus's understanding of what they knew. Messiah was just pointing it out. It's like, okay, you're leaving this part out here, Nicodemus. So, you know, so, and that's where I think uh, maybe we, at least for me, what I would like to do, I'm trying to make sure that we're defining our Messiah with what was written already. You know, and at the end of the day, we're going to have understand Messiah in a much deeper sense than I believe with leaving the Old Testament wayside. You know, so that's uh, that's one of my goals that I want to do. So and I'm trying my best and you can see, um, you know, I don't have all the answers. But Yeshua and the text does. And that's what I I. I that's why I was uh, looking at, like we, like Paul was saying, always ask, always ask questions. Why did he say this? Why did he make this comment? Because if you find a lot of times that I find with Messiah, he doesn't seem like to answer their question. But in reality, 
he's answering their questions deeper than they could ever imagine because he's getting to the core of what's going on. So if no other comments, I can close. And uh, we'll get back into this next week. And if you have any more questions that hit you, bring them. And maybe we can bring them all together and learn more about our wonderful God, our wonderful Messiah, and the redemption that we have and the precious promises that are given to us by a merciful God. Father Yahuwah, we give you great thanks. We thank you for your, for your words, for your directions, for your life that you have set forth before us. Father, please forgive us of our backslidings and our sins that we, we so many times find ourselves in. But Father, you are merciful. You bring us strength. Help us to become more and more of the image of your son, Yahshua. We thank you again for the love that we surely don't know the depth of just yet. We thank you again. Amen. Those online, thank you for joining us. And those here, thanks for entertaining my Bible, our, our Bible study. So, And I appreciate your time very much, and I'm honored. Thank you.